Hi everyone, welcome to another episode of Major Crush. This is Meredith Griffin. And I'm Lou Zant, and I'm so pumped. Uh, not only the fact that we get to sit here at the feet of Jesse Katz, so who's cool. so amazing, and we've heard so much about him, but we're here at his beautiful new facility uh, called Aperture, and uh, we're in the barrel room, so forgive us for the for the noise, a little bit of ambient noise here, and forgive the slurps too, because we're he just poured <laughs> us a beautiful uh, glass of his uh, Chenin Blanc. And man, is it good. And thanks, Jesse, for being here today. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thank you all for coming out. This is uh, really exciting to get you to the brand new facility. You're one of the first people to come in so uh, this amazing new spot. Matter of fact, the architect is from Mexico City? Brilliant guy named Juan Carlos Fernandez, originally from Mexico City. And he's part of a firm out of St. Helena called Signum. And some of the wineries that they've built in the past are world-class from Cade up in Howe Mountain, oh, Philippe Melka's new winery. Oh, yeah, seen. that was one of the ones that certainly solidified the deal with uh, me that was Cade. I saw that and was just completely blown away. Um, but just did Melka's new winery, uh, Nine Sons up in Pritchard Hill, okay. Brand oh, nice. Napa Valley, Hall. Oh, um, it's a young resume. firm, but the stuff that they have done has absolutely been incredible and when I was interviewing uh, the firm it was certainly you know there I interviewed probably over 10 architects and certain architects have their style like we interviewed Howard Backen who built Screaming Eagle while I was there um, who's brilliant and his style is amazing but it is his style where the Signum style and Juan Carlos uh, really showcased identities of the owner, the brand, and was quite unique yeah. on its own. And that's what I really liked, because obviously we created something quite unique here. It's very modern, and I wanted elements of the brand, Aperture, to be showcased throughout the architecture as well. Yeah, but share that with us. Uh, you know how the, the, the hospitality room, the, the tasting room and, and uh, uh, kitchen there is one shape, and then the barrel rooms and the labs and all that are another shape. Absolutely. Yeah, and I think onto that is while you're mentioning Aperture, how does that name impact how you wanted the design to be? How much time do we have? We got yeah. a lot here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I feel like we need to let our listeners know where that came from. Yeah. Sure. Well, well let me start with how the brand Aperture started. Uh, Aperture is the part of the lens in the camera. Uh, that is all the different shutters that opens and closes and depending on whether the aperture is open or closed is what is in focus and how much light is actually coming into the lens and that is really kind of we're focusing on stuff a little bit differently than most um, and the photography term comes from uh, my inspiration to wine and my introduction to wine was through my father who's a photographer Andy Katz. I was really fortunate as a child growing up, my father has always been a photographer, and um, I grew up in Boulder, Colorado. I'm not from a wine family, I'm the first winemaker in my family, but being a kid in Colorado, I traveled to over 80 countries with my family by the time I was 18, wow. and uh, when I was about 12 years old, uh, most of those were wine regions, because my dad started doing books and projects and wineries uh, and, and different regions. And um, his very first time coming to California uh, was in the um, uh, early 80s 
and he came out here to take photos of Napa and Sonoma wineries and vineyards uh, for a restaurant in Colorado called Michael's American Bistro that was coming up with a very wine-focused steakhouse in Vail. And my dad came out here, barely knew the difference between white Zinfandel and red Zinfandel yeah. at the time, uh, but really fell in love with the aesthetic, the culture, and also ha became good friends with some very important people, one of them being Robert Mondavi. And he's, he's kind of an icon. Uh, matter of fact, you know, we brought Angelina to Mondavi the other day. That's right. Yeah, so you brought her here. Oh, thank you so much. Oh, it's, uh, that's, uh, that's wonderful. Um, so. Uh, Bob and Davi uh, and my dad uh, got to know one another and Bob loved my dad's photos and talked to my dad and convinced him to do his very first book ever which was called The Portrait of Nap in Sonoma and he did the introduction uh, and that really kicked off my father's career in uh, wine photography and he then after that did a book with Robert Parker on Burgundy, Hugh Johnson on Tuscany, uh, Jane Anson in Bordeaux and wow. so on and he's now done 16 books, 11 of them on wine. And I was fortunate as a kid getting to tag along with uh, him and my mom to all these different areas and we lived in Tuscany, Burgundy, Bordeaux. Uh, we came out to Napa and Sonoma quite often but because of our funny liquor laws out here it was much less impactful yeah. because as a teenager you're sitting at the table in Burgundy and they pour you a little glass of wine and introduce it to you as part of the food and part of the culture as it should be. Uh, California they don't do quite the same. Well maybe in a household they do but, uh, but, but, but not in the restaurants we were going to. Um, so that was truly my introduction was um, living in Burgundy, living in Tuscany, Bordeaux, and getting introduced to wine through the food and through the culture of the, of the land. And uh, early on, especially in uh, Burgundy, it was quite easy for me to understand that the red wine was almost always Pinot Noir, the white wine Chardonnay, yeah. um, but how vastly different the same grape can be from the same vintage, but the subtleties and the differences from village to village. And that kind of essence of terroir that I now know how to articulate but didn't know how to at the time was fascinating to me at a very early age. Um, so I left Colorado when I was 18 to go out to Santa Barbara for business school just because I really didn't have any idea what I wanted to do and thought California would be a lovely place to uh, go to school and uh, yeah, not a bad spot to get away and get close to the beach. Um, and. I needed a summer job my first summer out there and when I was 18 I got a uh, job at Fest Parker Winery uh, yeah. up in San Inez, just yeah. above Santa Barbara. Right on the other side of the Hearst Castle. Exactly, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, right up there and um, uh, wonderful experience and during, I thought it was just to make some extra money and learn more about wine because I was fascinated with it but that time really kind of showed me that there was degrees of viticulture and enology that I had never even knew uh, known about um, and that there was people in the wine industry that they were the first time first people from their families making wine and being in the industry so that really kind of sparked the aha moment to me and so I started uh, asking my dad's friends and um, people in the industry what are my steps to be a winemaker I kind of had a singular focus from 18 on and almost everyone said we'll apply to UC Davis and Fresno State and uh, see what you get into and so I got into both schools and went and visited both schools and the thing that really pushed me to go to Fresno State was Fresno State has a full working winery on campus 
and uh, Davis now does as well. But yeah, it's a, it was about a thirty thousand case winery uh, while I was there. The only part of the school that made more money than the winery was the football team, and I couldn't get a football scholarship. So uh, I guess I went into the wine. I found out I was much better at drinking. Um, and so I went to school while also making wine at the campus. And during that time, I fell in love with Bordeaux varietals. Um, and um, pretty much spent the rest of my early career uh, spending half the time in the Southern Hemisphere making wine during our winter and coming back here uh, for our harvest. And so in a few years, uh, in three years, I got six harvests under my belt and was fortunate enough to work with some phenomenal wineries and winemakers. Um, like Hans Vinding, who was the winemaker of Arciano, and they had a joint project with wow. the Sasakaya family in Patagonia, Argentina, wow. called Bodega Neomia and Bodega Chakra. Uh, wow. Bob Foley, the winemaker wow. for Pride Mountain for many years, and yeah. I was working on his own projects, Hourglass, Switchback Ridge, and Robert Foley. Yeah. Uh, worked for Paul Hobbs at his winery out in Mendoza called Vina Cobos. Uh, spectacular wines. Um, and then I um, went and dur during my father's book on the first gross that we have right here on the table here, um, which kind of evolved into what he called the Club of Nine, he, the five first gross on the left bank, and then he also included Petrus, Cheval Blanc, and Chateau Ozone on the right bank, and Chateau Ecam, the one out of Sauterne. Wow. And so kind of the uh, you know, nine uh, famed chateaus in, in that area of Bordeaux. I'm gonna give your dad a shout out. Hey guys, if you're a wine enthusiast, and everybody has a coffee table. The book, you gotta get one of Andy's uh, For sure. uh, photography books and put it on your table. It, it, they are, I, I can't go into how beautiful these, uh, these photographs are. Go check out his artwork, andycatsphotography.com. Yeah. Uh, and, he's, and he's got stuff like, the you wine has mean? obviously been a huge it's focus, yeah. but he's got stuff from all over the world. So, you know, it's, it's amazing, uh, Jesse, how because you were able to do this back and forth, the Southern Hemisphere and here, you did half the time, but that's one thing. The guys you worked with are the Hall of Fame of wine. Yeah, I'm really fortunate, and that was just their early part of my career. We, I haven't even told you how, when I started Aperture or any part of that, and some of the real influences oh. from Bordeaux, because I got to study uh, in the right bank um, at a bunch of different wineries, but mostly at Petrus uh, on the right bank, wow. and that overlapped while my father was doing that book. And so um, I got to spend a lot of time at Aubryon while all the white wines were coming in, and wow. that will really be showcased in some of our style of our white wines that we're getting ready to try. Okay. Um, and then when I started Aperture was uh, in 2009 when I was working at Screaming Eagle. And I really wanted to showcase, one, I wanted to do a fun project with my father, but uh, two, I really wanted to showcase Bordeaux varietals in slightly cooler sites on the Sonoma side, um, that wines that had the incredible richness and texture of the uh, wonderful California cabs of the world, uh, but a little bit more restraint, a little bit higher acid, and a little bit more finesse that you would often find in Bordeaux. Sure. So to me, this more was of kind the of right bank. Well, a lot of people say Sonoma's right bank and, and Napa's left bank. Yes, yeah, Sonoma Cabernet's ripen so well out here too. Yeah. It's just there's a little bit more finesse and, and richness, but Sonoma is the most diverse growing region that I've ever seen in the world. 
You can find areas that are spectacular for Cabernet as you head to the eastern hillsides. You can find areas that are cooler than Champagne, France as you get closer to the coast. Yeah. Um, so the big thing, the big difference with Sonoma to me um, is we don't have the Mayakama mountain range blocking any coastal influence. That's true. So even in our farthest eastern hillside volcanic soils that it will get almost as warm as downtown Oakville. We might not have the heat spikes, but our daytime temperatures are pretty much the same as downtown Oakville. Mm-hmm. Our nights will be about 10 to 15 degrees cooler. Okay. And so that mm-hmm. lengthens the growing seasons, holds a little bit more acidity, a little bit more freshness in the wine. And so for me, it's the best of both worlds for the style of wine that I love drinking. 09 is when we started Aperture, and it was a teeny little production, a few hundred cases of a Cabernet uh, from a few different single vineyard, or from a few different uh, hillside blocks. Uh, I'll get to our single vineyards down the road. Um, uh, in the eastern part of Alexander Valley, and later I was uh, David Ramey recruited me from Screaming Eagle to uh, be the first winemaker or to be the winemaker at Lancaster State. And at the time, I was the youngest winemaker in the United States. Uh, I had just turned 25. Um, oh my God. You had Bell. just turned 25 <laughs> yeah. then. Wow, that's amazing. But I had been drinking for many, many years. Yeah, so I had, had an advantage. So, yes. <laughs> Is Philippe Malco over at Lancaster now? Uh, Philippe is not there. Uh, My old assistant, David Drake, who's a great winemaker, is now the winemaker there. Yeah, when I left Lancaster in 2015, uh, I gave um, Bill Foley, who purchased it during my time there, uh, a year notice, uh, helped uh, get David Drake up as the head winemaker, and then I was also making the wines at Roth and and trained that person as well. Terrific. uh, Yeah, so it was was a great, it was just the right time for, myself and the brands of where Aperture was uh, for me to kind of, uh, you know, jump off the diving board and uh, do my own thing, so. I think now it's a good time. Why? I know you poured us a little something in our glass. I think you should share sure. with us and the listeners. What, what are we drinking? So um, as the brand of Aperture has kind of evolved, um, we started out the first few years as just one Cabernet. Um, and have been really fortunate to have some of the highest rated Cabernets to ever come out of Sonoma County. Um, in 2016, we evolved and started doing some barrel fermented white wines. Um, a barrel fermented Chenin Blanc, which is what we have in our glass, uh, from one of the oldest dry farm Chenin Blanc vineyards in California. And the only vineyard uh, that we will taste is outside of Sonoma County. This is in a little area called Clarksburg. Clarksburg, yes. Oh. <laughs> the best shit in Blanc It is ever. thankfully, Sacramento. yeah, I've been in the foothills Sacramento. of Sacramento, mm-hmm. exactly. Um, and thankfully for uh, us and for Clarksburg, where the young California wine region has changed and to a fault, I believe, blanket plants, and often if Chenin Blanc would be there and Chardonnay is more popular, they'd rip it out and put Chardonnay there. They have stick, stuck to what they found themselves really good at, and they have kind of become the mecca for great Chenin Blanc in, in California, in my opinion. And this is one of the oldest dry farm vineyards coming out of there. Oh, um, so it is to me just has such a perfumey aromatic. Yeah, the floral. Of it's it is yeah, so beautiful. Definitely. And it's it, those old dry farms won't really ripen that much more than like twenty two bricks, twenty two and a half. And so we get natural wines of like twelve and a half percent alcohol with these amazing bright acidities, and then. Every single one of Aperture wines has some barrel incorporation, but purely for texture. So this is uh, 100% barrel fermented, but 50% in uh, neutral French oak barrels and 50% in these small stainless steel barrels. Yeah, because I'm not getting I'm not getting any kind of new oak 
No, I wouldn't. This. And I think it might be important for everyone, you know, talk a little bit about the difference between neutral oak sure. versus oak because, you know, I think most people, if they don't like oak, right away when they hear oak, they're like, oh, I'm... Yeah, no, this is purely for textual reasons. And mm -hmm. so the barrel, uh, even when neutral, and we consider it neutral after it's been used two or three times, um, so it's not giving any oak flavors, mm -hmm. but it's still giving texture and richness and body to the wine. And a lot of that for white wines is what we call uh, surlees aging, where we're actually aging on after the fermentation's done, the dead yeast cells will fall to the bottom, and there's a bunch of different chemical reactions that I don't want to bore the <laughs> listeners with, but essentially we'll stir those lees back in, a French term called batonnage, mm -hmm. and we'll do a lot of lees work, and that kind of helps aid and builds this texture and richness in the wine that kind of balances out this amazing, beautiful acidity, and we'll keep that in, uh, we'll do that for about six months in barrel, and what you get is this wine that has such lushness, such richness, yeah. uh, but just holding that beautiful, beautiful acidity. You can feel that. You feel that lushness, but I'm still, as you're saying, getting a little bit of that acid on the yeah. know, sides yeah. of my tongue with there. Not, with the, and not a lot of vanilla and butter. No, no. I would say I don't I think that's I what think you do tend to get with new oak. I don't well, it, it, not all oak is created equal. So yeah. uh, as you'll start to see, we've, uh, we'll try the Sauvignon Blanc next, which is about a third new oak, but I don't think we'll pick up any of that. It's really kind of aids to the complexity, lifts the fruit, and some of these barrels were unique barrels that we found at Aubryon and had to have shipped over from Bordeaux for us. Oh, wow. Yeah. Oh, okay. well, then you, <laughs> How cool is that? Good barrels. This Chenin Blanc, I always like to say in terms of, because you talk a lot about growing, being over in France and Italy, you know, where wine is just part of the culture and it's part of the meal. It just goes together. What would you, what would you pair with this Chenin Blanc? Well, this is a great cereal wine if you want to start <laughs> early in the morning. Uh, Absolutely. <laughs> in, in all honesty, this is pretty diverse as the, mm -hmm. uh, of, for what you can pair with it. I originally made this wine for a very dear friend, an amazing restaurateur out of Colorado, Dave Query, who has a fish house in Colorado called Jack's Fish House. And, they, and he's got a bunch of other restaurants, but um, he, he's got one of the top oyster bars in the United States in Colorado. Oh. They're shipped in fresh really? every morning. Okay. And he called me up and he goes, I really want an aromatic white wine to go with oysters. And so this is what I created. Originally it was just for him and we got so many people calling up to how to get this wine uh, that I decided to uh, release it to our full list members of, uh, now. And so uh, this and oysters are a match made in heaven. Yeah, but any seafood as you can imagine. I can yeah. see for sure. What are you pouring for us now, Jesse? So next is our only other white wine we make, and I'm pulling this straight out of the barrel, giving you guys a little oh, sneak peek. Nice. Um, so this is our barrel fermented Bordeaux Blanc, um, and th this is mostly Sauvignon Blanc, but um, there's a little bit of Semillon in there, which oh. is true to the style. And this is from one of our coolest vineyard sites. Coolest is in temperature, coolest in many different yeah. realms, but <laughs> our, our coldest site as well, uh, called Dry Stack Vineyard out in Bennett Valley. We picked this about a month behind any other Sauvignon Blanc that I work with. So we get this incredible long hang time, which pushes past that green grassy style of Sauvignon Blanc and gets us much more to that white peach melon uh, citrus. Oh and goodness. it has so much body and richness. And uh, this was really inspired from my time in Bordeaux and that Bordeaux Blanc style. And that semi on play there, 
And so this is sees a third new oak, but you don't pick up any oak flavor. It just adds to the complexity. It's just huge flavor. Yeah, really. it is just flavor. But it's I'll a wine that has such much. tension because it has huge flavor and huge richness, but that acidity is so bright and high and fresh mm -hmm. that it kind of balances it out, but you don't even notice it. It just glides across your palate and leaves your mouth watering, so you want even more. When you taste this, Meredith, you're going to taste like about 15 flavors by the time it hits the front of your tongue to the mid palate to the time you swallow. And, mm -hmm. and thank you for wow. Jesse Katz that's blending Semillon with Saint Blanc. I think it should be mandatory. <laughs> it so, makes it so good, Jesse. I, I, I love it as well. And so much so that on the Aperture State property that we're sitting on right now, we got clones from Chateau Ikem and we're planting Semillon here because I couldn't find it anywhere else. Oh, perfect. Yes. Wow. Um, okay. So the back area where there's a little bit of clay kind of as the, the when you're overlooking the vineyards, that little back block there yeah, uh, from moist. the tasting room. It's yeah, it's a little bit more clay right there. there. Yeah, nice. exactly. Exactly. I think it's important to highlight that a little bit that the traditional white Bordeaux style is always Sauv Blanc with some Semillon. Correct? Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, sometimes 50% Semillon. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, so that's been a classic thing. And, and for the previous vintage, this is the 2019 that we're just getting ready to release, the first wine to be made here at the Aperture Estate property. We were always making these wines, this was the first vintage at the new, our new home here, we were always making these wines over at Carter Cellars on, on the Napa oh, side. Oh, uh, Mike Smith. Mike Smith and, and uh, myself split the cellar and Mark Carter is a very dear friend. Amazing place to make wine and honor to be there, but we got to a level that I wanted to make a home for Aperture. and, and put together a custom winery specifically for these wines. So the 18 vintage that was made at Carter Cellars, the 19 was our first vintage here, was the highest rated Sauvignon Blanc in the world, tied with Smith Halt Lafitte. Wow. No. Wow. Um, what? Awesome. And the 19, I think, is my favorite that I've met, uh, made really? so far. So this can people even get this then if it's ranked that? Well, the 19s uh, and our single vineyard cab is funny enough you say, we're sending out to our mailing list and the release date today. Um, so these wines, the Sauvignon Blanc um, will probably be around for the next few months okay. and you'll find it in some great restaurants, Single Thread, uh, the three Michelin star restaurant right down here does it on their tasting menu. Uh, our single vineyard cabs sell out pretty quickly. Um, but yeah, all these wines can be found, whether you have to be on a wait list or not, um, on aperture-sellers.com. I want you to share with the listeners this incredible idea. I don't know who came up with it, You're the architect or your dad or you, but. It was, it was a joint, um, joint collaboration. So we came to, my dad and I, after we were interviewing all these different architects, when we sat down with Juan Carlos Fernandez from Signum and told him we wanted, one, something incredibly modern. We wanted a lot of glass. We wanted a lot of uh, elements of the vineyard to be brought inside. Um, we didn't want classic barn look that so many wineries were being built that way. And we wa also wanted elements of the brand to be showcased throughout the architecture. Um, Juan Carlos, in our first 15 minutes of sitting down with him, uh, started sketching the shape of the building we're in right now and took the aperture of the lens, made it three-dimensional, and that was the creation of the tasting room. And so if you look awesome. at the tasting room from the bird's eye, it's all these different shutters uh, created to make three-dimensional. And when you walk through the tasting room, we have all those different VIP private rooms, yeah. uh, the indoors and outdoors. We have that big 
area in the center where we recreated the aperture right above your head. When you look up, it's an aperture. And the skylight the and the natural light kind of changes around above you. In the bar, there's, uh, there's angles from the shutter that came from the building here. Um, and when we're having a big event or a big party, the aperture opens up and all those walls fold into one another. The glass opens up and it turns it from uh, a 3,500 square foot building with four different rooms in it to one indoor outdoor space that's 6,500 square feet. Um, so it's, it's just so versatile, so creative. And I have to give uh, Juan Carlos and my father a lot of credit for kind of coming up with that idea. Well, I'm going to shout out to Cade because it's, it's arguably one of the most beautiful places I've ever been. Undoubtedly for me as well. But it, I'm going to tell you, Jesse, when you, I had to stand because you haven't moved the, the, the seating in yet. When you stand in them, any angle of the, I'm going to call it the tasting room, yeah. any angle of it, you really don't know if you're standing in the vineyard or you're just present. Yeah. You're, you're, you're surrounded like by wine. You're surrounded by the vineyard, by the beauty of this architecture. And it allows for the outside to kind of be inside where you're experiencing. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's amazing. This, this architect knocked the cover off the ball. Completely. I'm so glad you experienced that well as well because that was my goal. Is to, because when people come to the wine country, um, to me, you don't go into a place in a square and drink wine inside. You want to be outside. You want the vineyards to be come to you. And so we had to. We put this at the top, the, the tasting room at the top of the property, uh, at the highest point, and then also raised it about 36 inches. And then I had to bring the vineyard right up to the tasting room. Never will a tractor be able to get into those. Uh, it's everything has to be done by hand. Yeah. But you're sipping wine feet away from uh, where the vines are. Uh, That's what I felt. I felt I was on stage. Yeah. Yeah. Like, you're highlighted there. performing to the vineyard. Absolutely. <laughs> oh, they're performing to you, however it is. And that's my crowd that, that created the, the sip I'm taking, man. That is so beautiful. So, yeah, that, that's the goal, and it's really exciting to start to see um, that experience, because you, you're one of the first people to walk through there. I mean, we don't yeah. even have furniture in there yet. Right. Uh, we're just finishing up with construction. Uh, but starting in May, we can't wait to uh, help uh, guide that experience to as many people as, uh, as we can. We will be appointment only, but um, we, we can't wait to share that experience with so many different people. i got to hand it to you for David. The guy you picked for hospitality. He is the man, he is right? So cool. Yep. You, so fun. You know, we wanted Seriously. to treat it like a super high-end restaurant, and so where do you go? Someone who's trained by Thomas Keller, yeah. who opened up Charter Oaks, <laughs> who you're going to come through that space and get treated like you're at a you know top top but, restaurant. But he's not pretentious. No. He's just this great guy, and well, I had so much fun. You know, yeah. knowing restaurants like you said, he came out of French Laundry and all these. And you just mentioned any restaurant in the valley, and he's just got the coolest kind of angle and perspective of it. Great guy. Well, Thanks the, for the, hiring him. No, well, the, the, it's my, my pleasure, please. <laughs> the guy's making my life easier. Uh, no, and that's, that's really the goal with everyone who works here from top to bottom is to make sure that we have people that know wine at such a high level, who know the ins and outs of the details. We try to get them involved in the vineyards, know the barrel regime. You know, their offices are in the winery, so they get to kind of see when we're racking, come out, taste those wines, smell the barrels, all that kind of stuff. But we love what we're doing. You know, we're, you know, we're, we're, we're having fun here. Yeah. This is, for me, an honor to be able to do what I love and, and call it work. So, That's so great. Yeah.
All right, so it looks like we're moving on to some reds here, which I'm excited to hear about. And again, I'm assuming your red style also comes from Bordeaux and your time in Bordeaux, or is well, it different? Certainly, I think it, it comes from all my experiences from uh, Southern Hemisphere, Bordeaux, and uh, certainly California, but it certainly some of the classic techniques are originated from Bordeaux and it all is Bordeaux varietals. This is uh, our Bordeaux blend. And so I'm giving you guys a little sneak peek of all these new wines. None of these wines have been released yet. Oh, these are your new releases. This is what we're releasing today. Oh, cool. uh, so not only are you one of the first people to come into Aperture Estate, but you're also some of the first ones to I'm taste our new release. special <laughs> right now, I'm feeling special. Man. So this is our first of our 2017 vintage for Bordeaux Reds to be released. And this is our Bordeaux blend of Cab. Uh, oh, sorry. This is the Bordeaux blend is uh, Merlot and Malbec. When we look at Aperture Estate, um, we have our site-specific, which are our single vineyard wines, and we have our soil-specific, which are our larger blends. Okay. But I didn't want to just look at one region, Alexander Valley or Sonoma County, and pick whatever vineyards and mm. put it into a blend. I wanted to be so specific that it had to be within that region, had to be the right varietals, but also the right soil type. So for our Bordeaux blends, we're only working with um, Bordeaux varietals that come from clay loam soils. That Merlot and Malbec does so well in those in those clay soils, and gives you this amazing aromatic. To me, this like the oh, seventeen yeah. reds, the aromatics are just so perfumey. There's spice, there's floral. I sipped right, it. I sipped it a minute and a half ago, Meredith, and I'm just it's blowing my olfactories away right now. It's thank you. Yeah, it's uh, it's the that's the best I've ever tasted. Oh, thank you so much. Well, and and the key to me uh, that I hope you'll see throughout here is creating textures. And so my goal and my whole um, um, idea for Aperture is to create different textures uh, from different sites, from different blends, from different varietals. And so the texture on this wine, to your point, it just lingers. It goes on for minutes and minutes and minutes, it and it kind of uh, dances across your whole yeah, palate. You're getting, I'm getting all different types of flavor. Like I keep getting hit with a different flavor you're across still, the palate. You're still on it, don't you? Yeah, yeah still. <laughs> I want to have my sheets made out of this. <laughs> Can you do that? This is unbelievable. So oh my gosh, this is fun. Talking about the, so this is one of your Bordeaux styles. This is a 2017. Do you? Do you change that year to year from Merlot and Malbec, or are you consistent with that? Those are always the cornerstone, but sometimes I'll blend a little bit of Cabernet in there, okay. some vintages, some a uh, little bit of Cabernet Franc, maybe Petit Verdot, um, but it's only from those clay soils okay. uh, that, that we're working with for those varietals. So it really depends on the vintage, but the key thing with Aperture, uh, anything that goes into any of our wines, we control all farming aspects of it. Whether we own the vineyard, whether we lease it, or whether it's a long-term fruit, fruit contract, it's often our team here that's farming our estate, Tri-Valley, that's farming those other vineyards as well. Okay. And I noticed um, outside, you, I know those Zinfandel vines have to be over 100 years old, right? Planted in 1912. 19, yeah, when, when I purchased this property back in September of 2016, okay. there was 32 acres of vineyards. Uh, there was a bunch of random Zinfandel vines that were kind of virus and stuff, but there was two blocks that were planted in 1912, still holding strong. Wow. And uh, I made wine from every single block, and the two blocks that were the standouts undoubtedly were the two blocks from 1912. Really? And we just finished bottling our first bottling of the wines from that prop from those blocks. Oh, really? uh, okay. Our 1912. We don't even know what we're going to call it because there's 
excuse me, Petite Syrah out there, Zen. Uh, it's a field blend. blend. Mixed yeah. whites in there. Uh, it is definitely majority Zinfandel in there. Um, and that's going to be the first departure from Aperture from out of Bordeaux varietals. But what historic vineyards, as you're sitting in our tasting room overlooking these vines yeah. planted I'll in I'll tell you, they're so gorgeous. And my, you know, my name is actually Lou Zen. A lot of people say it's Lou Zen, but it's yeah. Lou Zen. Zen's my favorite bridal. Oh, no kidding. Yeah, oh, I don't know why. I just, I, I'll, I'll, I'll have to get you a bottle as soon as we release it. Oh, darn it. It is, yeah, it is a special one. <laughs> since I, w I read your bio mm. and the story about Vaughn Miller and making him his wine and handing <laughs> it out, you would not believe what's happened to me. You know, I played some ball and, and the people that are coming out of the woodwork for the NFL and I'm going, yeah, um, we're going to actually be interviewing Jesse who, who made, remember that wine that Vaughn Miller passed out to all the players in the AFC West? That was so funny. That was a fun project, wasn't it? Well, so I'm born and raised in Colorado. The oh, Broncos right. are my team. Uh, you know, John Elway was my idol growing up. Mm -hmm. And so when I had the honor of doing that after we won the Super Bowl, because um, <laughs> Von Miller wanted to give a uh, gift to all the players in the AFC West, we created one barrel for him, about 300 bottles, and he gave it was such a cool, uh, he gave a great note saying like, what an honor it is to play with you on this, on this amazing field. From the bench players to the starters, um, all the players in the FC West, and this, you know, he sent one to Tom Brady, of course, because you know, yeah. that's uh, a big rival of his. And um, the remaining bottles, there wasn't many left, he auctioned off for his eye care charity. That's beautiful. And you made the wines for Justin Timberlake and Jessica's? Yeah, I, I was honored to make their wedding wine. Uh, what did you make them? What varietal? Uh, it was a Bordeaux blend from Alexander Valley as well, called Blue Ocean Floor, a painting that they have in their house. And then uh, it was just a song that Justin wrote about Jess uh, in his 2020 album. Oh my gosh, yeah. how cool is that? Uh, yeah. I'm going to listen to it differently now. Yeah, yeah. So what are you pouring now, bro? So this is our um, Hillside Cabernet. Oh, that's and big. Oh my gosh. This is the wine that started the brand. Um, okay. And the photo of this that we put on this label is the from the very first harvest of a Cabernet cluster right as we're getting ready to pick it. And that was also the cover of this lovely book we have right here that my dad did called Sonoma with Jim Lobby from Wine Spectator. Um, so this is what started the brand back in 09. This photo has always been on this bottle. This now comes from four specific hillside vineyards on the eastern part of Alexander Valley with all this volcanic soil. And I always blend in a little Merlot, a little Malbec, some vintages. This is about 85% Cab, the rest Merlot and Malbec. Nice. Um, but just such rich structure, yeah. but silky, silky tannins. Yeah, rich. Yeah. It's rich. Yeah. I mean, it's that's how a cab's supposed look to at, taste, man. I mean, man. look at the color of that. Both these last two wines, the colors were nuts. And this is something I feel I could put, and I could age this. Absolutely. Oh, this is a baby. This is a 2017. I mean, it's going to be delicious. 100%. Yeah. No, th these are, like I said, we're just releasing these right now. Mm -hmm. So. I also heard about you busting up the Guinness Book of World Records. <laughs> that was pretty crazy, wasn't it? Man, I was, well, what was even cooler about that is all that money went to charity. That's and um, so another one of the uh, fun labels that I was honored to make was with this guy, an amazing guy named Shep Gordon, um, oh, who is the manager for, he's kind of the guy behind the scenes of all the, of, of our culture for the last 40 years. Mm -hmm. He managed 
folks like Jimi Hendrix, Janis Joplin, Alice Cooper, and he also really created the identity of celebrity chefs. Okay. One of those key one was Emerald Agassi. Yeah. And for Emerald's biggest uh, charity event called Carnival de Vin in uh, New Orleans. New Orleans, which is where I live now. Oh, fantastic. Have you been to that event? It, it was, this is my first year there, so okay. I haven't been able to go yet. Next you year must. It's on it's, my radar. It, it's what, a phenomenal event. It? It's in November. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, so we, uh, so Emerald is obviously uh, a huge fan of Shep and a lot of people know the Shep story. Emerald uh, creates a lot of success because of Shep, uh, bringing him from the back of the kitchen to the front of the kitchen and Shep has just uh, become a very good friend as well. So we made one barrel for Shep um, and there was a movie called Super Mensch that is a great movie and a book on Mike Myers uh, um, narrates it and produces on Shep Gordon. You should definitely watch it and shows you how he's kind of had his hands in all different culture for the last 40 some odd years. And the uh, picture that was drawn of Shep, which is him kind of with his crazy hair, is what we use for the top label. Oh, cool. And then it was under the Setting Wines, which is a uh, project that I'm a partner in. And we made uh, uh, Alexander Valley Cab for that. And we had a couple collectors in the room and I was supposed to fly out for the event. And at the last minute, my mom from Colorado came out and visited uh, me, so I decided to stay here in uh, Healdsburg uh, and stay home. And we're sitting at dinner, and all of a sudden, my phone is just buzzing and buzzing and buzzing. So I, I excuse myself from dinner, pick up the phone, and all of a sudden, it was People Magazine, Fox News, Esquire. Tell me about this most expensive Guinness Book of World Record wine. <laughs> Please tell me. I have no idea what you're talking about. And uh, amazingly enough, we had sold one bottle, 750 milliliters, a normal size bottle, for $350,000 to a collector there. And all the charity went to the Emerald Lagasse Foundation um, and set the Guinness Book of World Records. Unbelievable, yeah. and unbeknownst to you, uh, it was completely unbeknownst. Yes, and the first time a Sonoma County wine has ever had that record. I was going to say, I want to do a shout out to Sonoma County. Yeah. You know, Meredith and I are falling deeper and deeper and deeper in love with Sonoma. You just heard the most expensive wine in history came out of Sonoma guys give it a shot it is amazing and when I when I left Oakville to move to Healdsburg I've never looked back I still make wine out there for uh, some clients but there is something incredibly special about the diversity the foods the talents the youth the authenticity of what's coming out of Sonoma County and that comes from someone who's lived and experienced 80 different countries and experienced so many different wine regions. Yeah, no, it's, it's, a lot. it's special here. Yeah, like special I, could, I might not listen to anybody, but I'm going to listen to you over <laughs> yeah. your favorite places. For sure. Yeah, no, there's a reason we live. My, my, my home is a stone's throw from here. I live at the, right at the back of the property here, and so there's a reason why uh, we made this place Aperture's home and, and my home. Which I think kind of leads us into this, you know, this resume he has is pretty unbelievable. As we, we learned about Jesse Katz before we got here for the interview. But also you were named Wine Spectator's 40 Under 40 Taste Maker. Is that correct? As well as Forbes 30, you made the Forbes 30 Under 30 list. Yes, this was uh, four days between I, before I turned 30. So just in time. <laughs> you just squeezed right <laughs> in squeezed right in. Uh, but yeah, that was... That was really fun the Forbes one because kind of got my name outside of the normal wine bubble that yeah. true, um, true. and the first winemaker to ever be on the list and I th- 
think I also have the record of being the poorest person ever on that list too, because uh, they have like LeBron James and a couple other people. So I think they oh, just needed. I think they just needed someone to uh, bring drinks for the rest of the crowd. Yeah, <laughs> for the rest before, of the twenty-nine. Yeah, they they needed someone. So uh, it was a true honor, um, and uh, yeah, I still have friends that I've met from when I was on that list. And uh, Forbes just did a big article on us. Um, and Aperture for opening up the new space here oh. as well that just came out last oh, week. They so, did? Yeah, yeah. Good. Yeah. So it's Good. been it's been fun to uh, kind of uh, uh, not not fall off after they put me on that list. Yeah. So when you make a list like that, yeah, what is that? There is an event that you all attend. What? what yeah, does that there's mean? there's the Forbes 30 Under 30 Summit. Yeah, you're hearing uh, kegs and barrels in the background. Sorry, uh, we're we're at a work and winery, folks. I like it. Um, and there was a big summit that honored the participants on the list that year, and they actually do it uh, every year. Um, it was in Philadelphia for a few years, uh, Boston, and now they're doing it, uh, international ones as well. So, cool. And the whole community, if you're on that list, you're invited to go for free, and they have a whole connection of, uh, there's an app you can connect out with people. Oh, so if you go course. to Tel Aviv, you have a group of uh, individuals to connect with out there. So, wow. yeah, it's, it's a really nice community that they've yeah. created and a lot of uh, interesting connections uh, that I wouldn't have expected. Right, and you get, now you're part of, you get to be part of that moving forward. They're for stuck with me. Yeah. yeah, they don't have a choice now. Right, right. <laughs> I, think that's a good thing. I can still get the 40 under 40, but the 30 under 30 were passed. <laughs> so I know Forbes was a big thing in 2013. But that wasn't the only thing that happened, was it? Yeah, so that was a big year for me. And um, Aperture was growing and growing. That was the year that we did the Beale Timberlake wine. And also, I wanted to create a very unique project doing single vineyard Malbecs. Because during my time in Argentina, uh, these were wines that I thought could sit at the table of any great wine on the okay. world. These are spectacular Malbecs that are you know, biodynamic in the middle of nowhere, Patagonia, and then Paul Hobbs's single vineyard Malbecs up in the uh, hills of um, uh, Mendoza. And these are two, three, four hundred dollar bottles of Malbec that are spectacular, but we really don't know about them or see them over here that often. Never. And so I wanted to, you hardly ever, no, completely. Um, And so I really wanted to showcase what California could do. And so I started searching, I had been searching for a vineyard for a while, uh, because I'd used Malbec during my time making wines throughout Napa and Sonoma, but always blending it in. And the best block at Lancaster Estate, year in and year out, was our Malbec. But it it always went into our Nicole's blend, the top one. So I knew we had right sites and the right terroir here in the Alexander Valley for it. So the first vineyard that I finally found was up in the hills of Alexander Valley called Farrell Ranch. And oh, Feral Ranch. Yeah, I started making wines from there in 11, did the first Devil Proof there in 2012. And uh, when I was tasting with uh, Robert Parker, we are tasting him on the Aperture wines, um, and I pulled the barrel sample of the 2012 Devil Proof, and this is in 2013, because he'll often uh, do reviews of what's to come. Mm-hmm. And uh, I could tell he liked it, 
and but he was you know at the time he was a little bit closer to the vest uh, about what he what he was really thinking and that evening he uh, tweeted maybe the finest Malbec he'd ever had from California and rivaled the best in the world wow. and that was before I had a website a label or anything oh. I knew the identity <laughs> and so we put together a makeshift website just to capture emails right. uh, and then a year later when we released the wine we sold out in less than 24 hours um, and the name Devil Proof comes from one of my father's most iconic photos uh, that he called Devil Proof, which is this amazing Cuban woman that has this amazing power and essence to her, smoking a cigar, and she just looks like nothing can beat her. She is, you know, she has such a um, uh, power to her. Yeah. And he named that photo Devil Proof after a Cuban theory that he heard uh, while he was over there. And I was on that trip. He's got photos of me sitting on her lap when I'm like seven years old. Um, and he named the photo devil proof after a Cuban theory that if you live well, drink well, you're devil proof and the devil can't get you. Uh, and so when, we, when I was trying to push the limits of what California Malbec could be, I uh, also wanted to push the limits of the label, the name and everything. And when you get your allocation of devil proof, it comes in three or six uh, uh, bottles, and it comes in a custom-made cigar box. I saw the uh, box. It's and so then you beautiful. open up the, the box, and there's a uh, print of Devil Proof that says, Live Well, Drink Well. My dad and I sign each individual one of those uh, for every allocation. I don't really want to say this, guys, but I'm going to go ahead and say it. Hands down, the sickest Malbec I've ever had in my life. Thank you. I mean, now it's... Pretty much two of your wines that are life lifetime oh, for me. Awesome, These are thank fantastic. you. Fantastic, yeah. And I love that theory: the um, live well, drink well. Yeah, I think we're all living by that right now. Yeah. <laughs> I, one of the things I do is seminars on the relationship between wine and wellness, and it goes to exactly that point. You know, wine is part of, as you said, a meal. It's just part of it, but it brings people together. It connects people. It creates a greater well-being. I, I couldn't agree more, and how lucky are we to call this work? Exactly. I'm like, I'm going to work in Sonoma for the next five days. Yeah. I felt kind of guilty saying that because this is not. I, I, I feel honored every day. Oh, darn yeah. it. I've got to go to Sonoma and work. Yeah. yeah. And now drink some more wine. So I know you have one final wine. You one final wine. Before. So this is, um, we do three single vineyard or what we call uh, site specific because it's from one single site, uh, Cabernets under Aperture and they're from three very unique sites in Alexander Valley and this is Del Rio Vineyard and this is our steepest hillside Cabernet Vineyard we work with um, right at the top of Chalk Hill Road but still in Alexander Valley and it's a hundred percent Cabernet um, and this steep south-facing hillside on the other side of Lancaster kind of right above Verite there uh, on Chalk Hill Road and just a spectacular sight. This white volcanic moon dust that you're walking on as you're going up this vineyard. Uh, very little organic material in the soils. And so it's amazing hillside vineyard that kind of, you know, smaller vines and the berries off of this are teeny, 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 teeny. They're most of the time less than a gram per berry. Um, and the soul of a wine comes from the skin of a red wine. Um, the color, the flavor, the tannins, the aromatics, or most of them at least, are all coming from that skin. So if you're able to shrink that berry size down, you're increasing the skin to juice ratio and making a wine that has such presence, such power, and such richness. But 
the way we treat this is we really uh, make sure that those, uh, with how much power is there, the tannins are soft and silky, and this kind of, again, aiding to the texture of the wine that we kind of look for throughout all of our wines. I love that. I love your explanation. The skin is the soul of a wine. It, of, a of a red wine, it completely is. Definite but but fair, you know, when you're thinking about that small of a grape, that much skin contact, Meredith, I mean, you, you would think this would just it. dry my mouth out. Yeah. And it doesn't. No, it's silk. It's silk on the palate. Silk. Yeah. Just looking at the color of this. Now, Again, are still, those deep vines? Are they? Are the roots pretty deep? In they're there? really deep. Yeah, I'm getting a lot of minerality here. A ton. And the thing that I love about this side of the mountain is mm -hmm. you kind of have those deep, rich fruit characteristics, but minerality and spice. See, I, that's what I like. Floralness. Like sometimes that yeah. really comes through in a pinot. Yeah, and and you get those in great Bordeaux too. That spice element, yeah. and it's true to the varietal characteristic, which I love so much. That's you're right, I get the minerality out of this. Don't there's you? a nice fruit, but the fruit is subtle. Yeah, and, and there's spice in there that I think really... The 2017 vintage, there's a gorgeous spice that I kind of see. Would you mind putting a couple of ribeyes on? <laughs> do I have to do everything I here? Know, right? <laughs> this yeah. thing needs a ribeye so bad. Uh, it's screaming yeah. at me. This would just cut through that beautiful marble. And, mm. Yeah, absolutely. It's my, my favorite cut as well. I'm like, I'm thinking, you know, a stuffed mushroom or something. Or you know what goes really well, too, with this and our single bitter Malbecs? Lamb chops. Lamb and that kind of beautiful, like, fattiness and marbling goes amazing with, and, with and our it, wines. It, uh, for sure. Yeah. And, it, and Malbec's really good at cutting spice, too. Yeah. So any kind of spicy rubs. Yeah. You know, if Emerald was here, <laughs> you know, we could, we could do it. Yeah. Well, brother, I can tell you what, this has been a, you, like one of the most unique and one of the nicest experiences we've ever had. This is fantastic. It's been I my pleasure. It. Thank you so the much. The story you've told, your story, the insight you've given into wine, I mean, it just really, there's, a spe there's something special happening here at Aperture for sure. This and I'll tell you, awesome. if people don't come out here and see this, make sure you make an appointment. Come, yeah. come make an appointment. We're two miles from the square of Healdsburg, uh, so our location is just incredible. Uh, but yeah, call us up, uh, find us online, but come out and visit this very special yeah, spot. And we're going to post a few photos so you can just, we'll, it won't capture it. Well, A, we're not photographers like his father. You can steal some from my father. Maybe sure. that's what we yeah, need, we'll so get we some can from share Andy. some of those. Yeah. It, just to give you a little teaser, you got to come. But thank you so thank much. You. My pleasure. Really thank cheers. you all for coming out. Look forward to many more. Cheers. everyone thanks for listening to this episode of major crush we recorded this interview with jesse katz only days before the shelter in place order was issued in california and pretty much around the globe so obviously the opening of the new aperture tasting room is going to be delayed but true to form jesse and his team are coming up with beautiful and creative ways for you to experience the aperture wines and jesse's new property virtually be sure to check out his website, aperture-sellers.com, for details on how you can connect with Jesse and his team during these unprecedented times and get up-to-the-minute updates on when his gorgeous new tasting facility will be open to the public. But for now, we're sending our listeners and fans of the show our love and well wishes as we all hunker down and find ways to stay connected to each other through the amazing world of wine. Until next time. Oh,
Thank you.